You know, uh, I had a roommate just before uh, I came to the Lord. His name was Robert. He was he he never really showed a lot of emotion. We worked together, and that's how we got to know each other. And and then I needed a roommate, and he was just like 19 and looking for an opportunity to get out of his mom and dad's house. So he moved in with me, and, and it was a good, it was, you know, it was good. Um, he got a girlfriend, and he, he was a Christian, served the Lord, and I wasn't yet. Had a strong influence, negative influence on him. But, but he used to do this thing. Uh, he used to always tell people, just remember, Jesus loves you, or Jesus loves me, and he loves you. He used to always say that. I used to and I'm not even a Christian, so I'm tripping out on him. But when he got upset with somebody, he would say, just remember, Jesus loves me and he likes you. <laughs> and, and if things went really, really bad, he would be like, he would just look up at the sky. And I remember him doing this a couple times. Good God Almighty, what do you want from me? You ever feel like that? That's really kind of what's going on in our story today with Micah as far as the text that I chose to, to bring to you today. It's kind of hard for me to, to pick and choose through some of these books because there's so much great material in the Word of God that I hope that you're reading ahead and, and, and studying. But I want to read this text to you out of Micah chapter 6, and we're going to primarily be there. I've got a few other verses that I'll throw at you. Uh, but if you have your, your Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Micah, that would be awesome. And so next week we are speaking on Nahum, 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 whom, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. It's the book after Micah, okay? We're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then I'm going to pray. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? It's like the Lord is just saying, what did I do to you? How have I strained you? How have I stressed you? You know, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. He goes on to say in verse 4, for I brought you out of the land of Egypt, I redeemed you from the house of bondage. Come on, somebody. I set you before Moses, Arian, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, I, I had that word down yesterday. Beor answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Well, what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my, of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. I pray that uh, you would just help me to deliver the message as it's, as it's stirring and resonating in my heart. Capture my thoughts right now and make them obedient to your voice. That what proceeds from my mouth right now to the end of the service would be from the Holy Spirit. That you would open our hearts to hear what the Lord would say to us. The message that we can receive from a prophet thousands of years ago. 
Let us go home encouraged today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the name Micah, it means who is like God? Who is like God? I'll answer the question for you right now. We're going to go home. Nobody. All right, see you later. No. I've got 20 more minutes, so we're going to preach, right? You guys okay? Yeah. Is there anybody here? I can't hear you now. I'm just going to tell you right now, first service was one up on you guys. You going to let that happen? No, uh uh-uh. Yeah, you know how we do it around here. You got to preach back at me, right? You want to go home before lunchtime, you got you to preach back at me. I want to hear you talking to me. Amen. All right, there you go. See, somebody's getting hungry already. <laughs> Micah, he prophesied between the years of 750 and 686 B.C. during the reigns of King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah, okay? Listen, Micah was from Morath Gath. Morasheth, Gath, excuse me, was located about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem on the border of Judea and Philistia, Philistia, excuse me, near Gath. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about Jonah. Jonah was from Gath as well. So there's two prophets from the same area preaching the word of God. It said about this, about, about uh, Micah, it said that he had the passion of Amos, excuse me, That he had Amos' passion for righteousness, but Hosea's heart for love. So here, this is is in your bulletin, but one-third of this book exposes the sins of his own people. So so he's preaching to the choir. He's preaching to his own people. It's like, you know, when the evangelist comes into town, and they stir up the pot, and they tell everybody what they're doing wrong, and then they get to leave? Well, Micah's doing that, and he has to stay. It's kind of like my job, huh? One-third of the book describes the punishment God is about to send upon the nation of Israel. And one-third of the book speaks about the hope and restoration that will come as a result of the judgment and repentance. That's kind of how the book is broken down. It's not all cut and dry. If you read it, it's kind of forth, jumps around here and there, right? Micah was considered to be the prophet for the hurting and poor people of his time. He was the prophet to, he, he, he spoke against the social injustices of the time. He was talking, of, Israel was abusing the poor, taking advantage, exploiting those who had less than. No, I'm not talking about America today. I'm talking about Israel back then. See some correlation. We live in a society of people who, what's in it for me? What, what do I get at? Even, even, I'll careful to say this because we have a food ministry and, and there's a lot of right hearts in the food bank, don't get me wrong. But sometimes people are there to get out of the, what I can get out of it, whether it's, whether it's grocery assistance or just a good pat on the back. Some people are just looking to be lifted up. And, and the Lord says that when you're recognized for your good deeds, there's your glory. There's your reward, but when I'm recognized for your good deeds, I'll reward you. I, I like that kind of reward, amen? But that's what's going on in, in the story. So, so as he's preaching to the people, uh, Micah, he raises the question that my own old roommate raised, right? What do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? And, and, and we'll go back to verse 8 of what I just read to you. It says, it says he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. So, so my outline today isn't some brilliant brainstorm. It's right out of the text. My three points are right there before you. The first one is, is God requires us to act justly. What does that mean? We could say that we should act with fairness and honesty and integrity. I think Micah was so passionate about, about justice was probably because he hadn't seen a lot of it. And that's what stirs me. I get, I get passionate about the injustices because I don't see a lot of justice in our world today. Again, people are in it, what's in it for me? Even, not here at Grapevine, but even in the church. What's in it for me, Pastor? Well, why should I serve? What do I get out of it? If you don't know, I can't help you. But I'll challenge you this, try it and see what you get out of it. Try it with the right heart and see what happens. In this particular case, Micah is speaking about justice or being fair in all the dealings, even in little things. If you look at verse 11, just jump down a couple of verses. It says, shall I count pure the wicked scales and with the bags of deceitful weights? Micah's, Micah from the Lord is saying, hey... You guys, you steal, you, you, you borrow from the poor, you, you exploit them. It, it, it's, listen, it's like this. If you're at work and you see a couple pencils and you need them at home, you take them. That's the kind of stuff Mike is talking about. It's not yours. You didn't buy it. Don't take it. And we've allowed this kind of mentality to, to settle in our, in our demeanor and in our walk. And pretty soon it's, okay, well. Pencils, now I need a pencil sharpener. <laughs> and then pretty soon it's like, what are you guys doing with that, be- that desk out back? Well, if it's just sitting out there for, for three minutes, it must be mine. No. But Mike is preaching to these people. And you know the old saying that honesty is the best policy? Remember that? I think for the Christian, the slogan should be, honesty is the only policy. Amen. We, really, we really need to take up the mantle of integrity again. We've allowed the world to, to teach us what integrity is, and the world's got it wrong. The world doesn't have a clue what integrity is. But the Holy Word, the Scripture, does. And this is what we need to line up with. This is what we need to focus our lives on. This is what we need to pattern our lives on. Remember, this is, what was that thing I held up? The plumb line. This is the plumb line for your life. If you don't line up with this, you're crooked. One way or another, somewhere, right? Am I preaching too hard for you yet? Because I'm just getting started. But this theme is really, if you've read the Word of God, you know that it's consistent throughout all Scripture that... That, that we are to be people of integrity, that we need to be honest in, in our dealings. We, need to, we just need to be living the truth. The, the, the truth of God is where the light of God is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Look at Psalm 51, verse 6. Remember David told us a little bit about, about this. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. (laughs) The the, The number one reason 
that I don't like counseling is because most people aren't honest with what's going on in their heart. I can't help you if you don't open your heart. If you're looking for someone to sign off on your card or someone to agree with you, please don't knock on my door. I had somebody ask me last week, do you counsel? I said, no, not really. Well, isn't that part of the process of becoming a pastor? If you're called, sure. And I'll do a certain level of that, but, but if you're not going to do what I suggest, then don't ask my opinion. Don't ask me for help. But I believe this, that if your life is consistently a mess, it's probably because your heart is messy. And if you come to me for counseling, I'll happily sit down with you. I'll pray with you. I'll, I'll weep with those who weep. I'll rejoice. But here's what I'm going to tell you, just so you know right away. Come to church for three weeks and don't miss a service. If you still need my help, I'll be there. What I found most of the time is people aren't committed to the things of God. And then their heart gets a little messy. But when you commit to the things of God and you, and, you, and you follow through and you worship Him and you lay down your pride and you lay down the things of your life and you just get into the presence of God, I'll tell you what, He has a, the ability to just strip things away from you. Amen? Amen. That's how I do counseling. I know it's messy. I know it's weird. But I'm not a good counselor, and I'll tell you the number one reason why. I have no patience. That's why they don't call me Dr. Wilson. <laughs> My pastor, the pastor that we got saved under, uh, they gave him an honorary doctorate. I would turn that thing down because then people would expect something from me. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't want it. No, don't call me doctor. Uh-uh. Oh, praise the Lord. So, so we have to decide, listen, deep in our hearts to be people of integrity. It has to be a decision that you make that I will be integrous, that I will, that I will be honest in all my dealings, that I will be the kind of person that, 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 that pursues justice. The second one was to love mercy. We're supposed to fill our hearts with compassion and kindness towards other people. The Hebrew word here for mercy is hesed. It literally means this. It means tender mercies, loving kindness, and steadfast love. That's what we're talking about when we talk about mercy. This word, this word has said, is mostly used in a covenantal sense. In other words, I'm going to have said you, I'm going to have mercy with you, and you're going to have mercy on me. That's what he's talking about. You need to love mercy. You have to, have, you have to love mercy so much that you extend mercy to people who don't deserve it. Oh, I might start preaching right about now. Yes, that's right. When we talk about it in relationship to God's mercy, it describes His grace or His unexpected or undeserved or unmerited kindness or favor. Grace, the acronym, you've heard this, God's riches, at Christ's expense. See, Jesus paid the price to extend mercy towards you. And, and did you notice that in our text, the requirement from, from, from the Lord through Micah isn't that you, you have mercy, it's that you love mercy. There, there's a difference. There's a difference to have mercy. I forgive you. I'll just forget about, I'll just forget about the, the wrong that Pastor Stu did to me. He didn't really. I love this guy. But I'm just going to 
pretend like it never happened. That's having mercy, right? I could get back at him. I could lash it out. Yeah, that's what the world says. Hey, eye for an eye, right? That's not an amen. That's what the world says, but God, God says, don't just have mercy, love mercy. I love forgiving him. I love extending mercy to him because it's what Jesus did to me. While, while, while I was still sinning, he hung on a tree. While I was still slapping him in the face, he looked at me and he said, I love you. Here's the cool thing about our Lord. If he had to do it all over again, he would. Thank God he don't have to. Ah. Another way of describing the difference is to say that we don't act out of kindness because of some sense of obedience, but we do it out of pure love. We extend mercy out of pure love, unadulterated, not because it's the right thing to do, because God said so. Well, that's a good reason to do it, but that's not what the Word of God is saying here. It says to love this mercy. Jesus taught his disciples about unexpected kinds of mercy. If you remember the, the, the Good Samaritan, remember how the, the Levi and the priests both walked by, the guy that was beat down? Matter of fact, they didn't even walk by. They went to the other side of the road. So the priest and the Levite, who not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites, so they have some training, walked by on the other side of the road, and the Samaritan, who absolutely hated Jews, despised Jews, stopped, bandaged the guy, put him on his own donkey, took him to the town, and then paid for a few days' rest. Look look at the verse here in Luke chapter 10. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do the same thing. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. What about the parable of the prodigal son? It shows us the heart of a father who had mercy on his son against everybody else's expectations. Matter of fact, nobody else wanted to extend. Why are you putting the robe on him? Why are you killing the fatted calf, said the other son. And our Lord says, because they deserve the best. Somebody needs to hear that in this room. You deserve the best. God sent his best for you. Yeah, 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 for you. Even when you were sinning, he sent his best. What about the woman caught in adultery? That teaches us about compassionate mercy. Everybody else wanted to throw stones, huh? And Jesus said, well, go ahead, but you better start throwing rocks at yourself first. And the thief on the cross teaches us about the depth of God's mercy. Last minutes of his life, of his miserable, pathetic, sinful, heathenistic life, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we're exhorted to not just have mercy, but to love mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
You want mercy? You need to extend mercy. 1 Peter 3.8 says, finally, all of you be one mind, having compassion, same thing, for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous towards one another. Mercy is not something that we show most of the time to each other. But I believe it's the only response we should have when we think about it in light of the cross. But in this situation, we need to go back to the context. We need to read verse 6 and 7 in Micah chapter 6. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, before the high God? Shall I come before him with birth offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall my firstborn of my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Are all these sacrifices, or the, 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 the one-year-old lamb was the most this animal that you could sacrifice to the Lord. See, sacrifices aren't enough. He requires mercy. Do you remember what Hosea prophesied? Verse 6, chapter 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Here's the problem. Most people don't have mercy. Most people don't love mercy. They love it for themselves. I deserve it. They even demand it for themselves, but they don't extend it towards others. Listen, most people don't value kindness the way we should. We return rudeness with rudeness. We allow opportunities like the Levite and the priest just to pass us by. I've already confessed to you a few weeks ago about, about my sin in that area. When I pull up to the stop sign, sometimes I just don't make eye contact with the homeless. Every once in a while, I catch myself, since, since I confess that to you, I catch myself wanting to do that, I look them straight in the eyes. If I don't have nothing to give them, I'll just say, Jesus loves you. When we should be gentle with others, sometimes we're harsh. I want to get to this last one, because I want to be able to help you. Number three, walk humbly with God. Have you noticed that the other two expectations are the things that we have for each other? To love mercy. He's talking about one with another. But to walk humbly with our God. It's a different story. It talks about a right relationship with our Lord and Savior. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, it's a gift. And I'll tell you what, the thought of that is humbling to me. We don't deserve it. James 4, 6, 4, 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So I'm going to give you, these are quick, we're almost done. You're looking at your watches. I've seen some of you looking at your watches, Pastor. You're usually on time. Uh, I, ca I caught you. I don't usually give on, but I see everything you do. <laughs> Actually, I miss most things. God catches it all. But Six things, six ways that will help you to walk humbly with God, okay? Number one, remember who's in charge. Remember who's in charge and praise him, right? It's hard to keep things in perspective if we don't 
know who God is. You know, a good place to start is reading Psalms 90. Hey, just read all the Psalms. How's that? Number two, pray for humility. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the pride of, of your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes in the ways that you still are prideful. If you're not asking him, then you're already prideful, because I'll tell you what, we all struggle with it. Ask him. Maybe you have no pride in you, but it doesn't hurt to ask. God, if there's anything still prideful in me, please reveal it to me. He'll do it, and he won't bash you over the head with it. When he bashes you over the head with it is when you deny it. I'm not prideful. Oh, Really? Yeah, watch this. Thanks, G. Number two, you'll love this one. You have a plank. Or number three, you have a plank. <laughs> Some of you aren't getting that yet. Pay more attention to your own faults than you do the flaws of other people. He said, you're so busy looking at the speck in your brother's eyes, there's this big old log. Hey, you see that speck in your eye there, Pastor Stu? <laughs> right? <laughs> Now most of us are walking around. We keep bumping into things with that thing. You have a plank. Tell your neighbor, you've got a plank. Here's number four. Kind of goes back to with number two, but don't hide behind your dignity. Listen, dignity is pride's favorite hiding place. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. Dignity is pride's favorite hiding place. Your real value lies in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of the world, right? 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Number five, don't watch yourself worship. What are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Listen, give all your attention to him. When you're in the altar, it's not like, oh, I wonder who's watching me get my groove on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Checking that out? Uh-huh. Uh, I know people like that. People just say, hey, I'm going to get my praise on because the house is full and people are looking at me and I'm going to show them how to do it. You know, don't, don't, don't watch yourself worship. Give it all to the Lord. Amen. And number six, and number, number six, some of you are at home like in the mirror. Practicing, practicing, doing the jazz hands. Thank you. All right, number six. <laughs> Serve others. Quickest way out of, out of pride, the quickest way to humble yourself is to serve somebody else. Jesus even said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. I wonder if you would give your life as a ransom for others. I wonder if you would serve at the ability and the level that God's calling you to. We think it's God's role to make us happy, to serve us, stand for our prayers, but really it's our job, it's our responsibility to glorify Him. So what does God want from us? Not much really. Just to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. That's all. That's it. Piece of cake. We got this. Amen? That's why it's a walk and not a dash, huh? A full-out sprint. Would you stand with me?
Oh, what a day. I didn't tell this service. I told first service. I'm officially a half a century old now. I wasn't looking for that. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. I was just going to come up here and just um, ask you guys how much you love your pastor. One person loves me. I know she loves me. No. Because I looked at his Facebook page yesterday, and 9 o'clock last night, there was 96 Facebook posts that said, you know, happy birthday, Pastor When I got it at 10, there was like 108. 108 at 10. And then all the text messages he received, the birthday cards he received. And I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. We feel very loved and very blessed to be your pastors. We really do. Age Age is not a number. And, you know, this man is in better health and better shape than he was 17 years ago when we got married. (laughs) Spiritually and physically. And I believe the next, I'm not even going to put a number on it. But so many years, God's going to raise up even more in us. And it's going to be with the love from you guys as well to grow as a family. But I just wanted to say I love this man. And I'm so happy that I got to spend his day with him. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Happy birthday. Thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody as well for, you know, the birthday wishes on Facebook, the cards. And it really, it really did bless me comments made and, um, you know we are we're really delighted to, to be here and I hope and I'm and I'm kind of confident in this statement and I say kind of because I still struggle sometimes with self-esteem issues just like everybody else but I really hope and pray that this church is on board with what God wants to do with Grapevine because it's it's gonna blow our minds God wants to do some amazing things. So uh, we received a prophetic word just the other day that lines up with everything we've been telling you for two years. It's been almost two years. September will be two years we've been here. Next week is a year for the Longs being our worship leaders. And September, they'll actually have a home here. Praise the Lord. So anyway, I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, Thank you again. Let me just put a blessing on you as you go today. Father, we thank you for this amazing time this morning in your presence. And we're not leaving we're leaving a building, not the presence of the Lord. We're taking that with us. Let, a, let us be so full and overflowing that it pours out on the community that we'll run into today, families and friends, workers at stores and restaurants and wherever our feet take us, Lord. Let us be found doing your work and your will. Let us act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.